Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is a trigger warning for this episode. It contains topics on murder and rape. Welcome. Welcome to the Haunted Estate. Hello and welcome back to The Haunted Estate, here with your host, me, Selena Myers, aka Selena Spooky Boom. I hope that you have been loving the new episodes because I have been loving making them for you. Yes, it is some hard stuff to talk about and it's some really interesting topics and I love bringing them to you. But today, it's just you and me in the studio. We're going to be talking about something that changed the whole path of my life how I looked at the world, how I looked at people, and really changed the things that I'm afraid of in this world. As we all know, I do post a lot of comedy content, but the truth is, I have lived quite a life, and I know we all have, and that's the one thing that I've noticed in this journey, is the fact that we all have so many stories. And I don't understand why it's so taboo to talk about the things that help shape who we are. I make comedy videos and I feel like it comes from a dark place. And that's okay. It made me who I am. But that meant that there were a lot of people along the way that got hurt. Today we're going to talk about something that happened to me between the ages of 17 and 18. I've briefly talked about it on YouTube, I made a series on TikTok, and people were really interested and I thought that this was a great place to sit down and have the time to explain everything that happened. Truth is, it's not even my story. I am the smallest, tiniest fraction of a giant thing that happened, a giant, tragical, horrible thing that happened. And I live with it every day. I live with the thought that maybe if I had chosen different actions, things wouldn't have ended the way that they did. So today isn't about laughs 
and fun stuff. It's a serious one. Today we are talking about the murder of eight-year-old Victoria Stafford. Before we go into this, I'm going to do my best not to name the people who took her life. I feel like the focus needs to be on her. And sometimes when we talk about those people, saying their name gives them power. I remember watching The Conjuring and them saying and listening to The Demonologist um, by Ed and Lorraine Warren that like when you speak a demon's name, it gives its power. And that's what those people were to me. They were demons. They were two people that came from different places. They came to our town. And they took a life of an amazing, beautiful, talented little girl. Picture this, the first night that her killer contacted me. It was my 17th birthday. And I was at a party, thrown by a friend, and I just felt like I didn't fit in. I didn't really know anybody that was there, and they weren't the nicest people. I had just been dumped by my boyfriend, and I was kind of caught in this place between spiraling and being a badass and just wanting to make mistakes and have fun because that's what you do when you're 17, 18. I remember standing in the hallway and everyone was super drunk and everyone was just being really forceful with each other and playing dumb teenage games. And I was standing in this dark hallway and my friend's boyfriend at the time was like hitting on me, which was super weird because she's the one who threw the party and I was like, hey, stop. When I got a notification on my phone, I looked at it. There used to be this dating app attached to Facebook called Zeusk. And it's like Tinder now. It would show you people based on location. I looked down and I saw a picture of this guy. And I was like, wow, this guy is cute. He looks like a nice person. I was a weird girl. And I was lucky I had always been in long-term relationships. I don't mean that I was weird and fat and that's why I didn't be in relationships and people are shitty. But you know what? Back then people were kind of shitty and that's just how it was. But my boyfriend had broken up with me. And I was looking down at my phone, and there was this guy, and he seemed cool. So I answered his message. She said, hey, what are you up to? And we had a little conversation that night. I told him that I wasn't really feeling the party that I was at. And um, we just messaged back and forth all night. The next day, I was at home, and it was very, very late when I got a message on Zeusk. And he said to me, hey, do you want to go tanning? And I was like, first, weird, it's two o'clock in the morning. So I messaged him and I'm like, it's two in the morning. He's like, oh, I know a place. I know you tan. And I was like, how do you know that I tan? And he was like, I see you coming out of tan factory all the time. It was weird that he didn't bring this up. When he had spoken to me the first time, it was like it was the first time he'd ever seen me. Like we were just talking through this app. So that was a little weird. I went to bed. That next morning, I was awoken because my dad was knocking on my door at 5 o'clock in the morning before he left from work. For work. (laughs) He said, there's a car in the driveway. Who is this? As I go downstairs, the car is already going down the road. It was this weird Honda with weird paint. I didn't think much of it. 
Maybe a neighbor. Maybe someone got an address wrong. They were gone. It was a weekend, and I had to work. I worked at Staples. <laughs> I feel like so many of us work there. <laughs> Who doesn't love office supplies? I had talked to him over message again, and he hadn't said anything weird else, so I just kind of went forward with it. I got to work, everything was fine, and I went for lunch. When I came back from lunch, my coworker said, hey, this guy came in. He was super cute. He asked for your phone number. I gave it to him. And I was like, oh my gosh. I never correlated that it could be him. And I just thought, wow, someone thinks I'm cute. They want to send me a message. This is really, really cool. What I didn't know is that car that I had seen in the driveway had followed me to Staples. It had parked, waited for me, watched me go on my lunch, and then went in and asked for my phone number from a friend. It was him. I go back to think about these moments, and I wonder, did he see me on an app and that's why he started to watch me? Did he watch me and then hope to find me on an app? Over the next few days, that car kept going down the road and I kept seeing it. And I was thinking, oh, this is just a neighbor's friend or something. The puzzle pieces had not started to come together. That night, he started texting me. And I put two and two together and that he was the one who came in. And he told me that's how he got my number. And I was like, wow, this guy's really putting in the dedication. He wants to know me. I was very kind of taken aback because of the age difference. I was 17, 18. He was 28. He told me he had just moved to town and he was sleeping on a friend's couch while his house was being built and that he taught dance at the senior citizens, like arena area place that they all hang out. The center. <laughs> there we go. He seemed cool. How could a guy who like worked with seniors be not weird, you know? But of course, the conversation's going to turn a different way. Started getting a little bit inappropriate. He was really pushing on how much he wanted to meet. But, stranger danger, <laughs> I was maybe too insecure to meet somebody off the internet. When I think back, that's kind of the reason that I put into my own head. I was in a hard place. I had gone through a really rough breakup, and I really wasn't feeling myself. So I didn't have a problem with this guy sending me messages until things got weird. He started asking weird things like what I was into, like sexually and stuff like that, asking for pictures. I pulled back, as one would, and I had met a guy in my real life, and I liked him, and he was nice. And somehow, texting guy had found out about him. He called me one night and told me that I was damaged goods, that I was gross, that, that I didn't deserve to live, all of this weird stuff. So I stopped messaging him. But me and the real life guy stopped talking. And when he messaged me again, I started talking to him again. Little stuff, daily conversation stuff. I wish I could explain to you guys what it felt like not knowing someone. And after everything happened, being able to see all those red flags I didn't see in the beginning. Because I was just excited to talk to someone because I was lonely. At this time, I was in grade 12. 
and I had a full-time co-op with big brothers, big sisters. I had four little sisters, and they were all in grade four and three. And I loved them so much. And I don't know why this didn't ever come up in trial, but I really wonder if I was targeted. I remember sitting on the hill outside of their school and seeing that car drive by, more than once, slow down and go forward. And I never put it together. Eventually, I decided this guy wasn't for me. I didn't want to talk to him anymore. Because he was talking about gross things. I can't remember exactly what, but it got forceful. And he made me feel bad for not wanting to meet him. He made me feel bad when I didn't message him back. There was this day he had been so on with the messaging and my friend had called him and was like, don't talk to her anymore. And then her and I went to Walmart and we were shopping around. We had blown off afternoon classes. We were going through aisles and we ended up in the shoe section. And we could hear this woman on the other side and she's like, no, I don't want your help. I'm fine. I don't want your help. Her and I peeked through to see like what was going on. Was this some Walmart employee that had made her uncomfortable? When I saw his face, it was texting guy, guy from Zeus, the one who for the past few months thinks it gotten weird. The second I realized it was his face, I felt sick. And I looked at my friend Brianne and I'm like, Brianne, like this is, this is him. And she looked and she saw him and she's like, we need to go. So we just run. We see him behind us. He's not running. He's trying to act cool. He's walking at a fast pace. I blast out into the parking lot. I get to my car and there's a car parked right against my driver's door. So you can't open it. Like literally three inches. Mirrors almost touching. It was the car. The car that had been in the driveway, the car that had been in the parking lots, the car that had been parked all over my street. It was him. I blast through my passenger side. I get in my driver's seat. Brian gets in. We drive away. She ends up calling him. She goes, don't talk to her anymore. Don't call her anymore. Don't. Just nothing. No. I don't ever remember talking to him on the phone again after that. I remember my parents put a call in to the police department just to, like, let them know what was up. But, of course, stalking laws are a joke. Unless you've been hurt or targeted or slapped or abused or threatened. There's nothing they'll do. So I got kind of scared. Then that day came. I had done my full co-op at school. I had been with my little sisters. We had had a great day when I came home and my mom said, Selena, there's a little girl and she's missing. An eight-year-old little girl. This was not too late in the day. We were, we were at like five. You know, our thoughts were, hey, she went to a friend's. She's in a park. She's in the woods. She got lost. We weren't thinking, she's gone. She's not coming back. She's been murdered. I remember driving downtown 
The streets were littered with people throwing out flyers, passing them into our car windows, and I had taken duct tape and I duct taped them. And I don't know why I felt so close to this. But our town is small. We never used to lock our doors, windows were left open, cars were unlocked, because this isn't the kind of place where this kind of thing happens. I went to my work, Staples, and I printed off 300 flyers. And I walked down Springbank, which is a busy street in our town, and I was taping her flyer to poles. And I ran into one of my little sisters, from Big Brothers Big Sisters, and she was like, oh no, what do you think happened? I'm like, oh, don't worry, she'll be home. According to police records, he had messaged me one time at 3.15, and then again at 11.30 p.m. that night. I try to think so hard about what he said, and the only thing I can think about is that he had asked me to help move, or he had asked, I just know it was another ruse to try and get me to come and meet him. But I ignored it, because at this point I'd realized that tickling the beast was what made him keep coming back, so I had just chosen silence. And for some time before that, I had just been silent. That night I had a weird dream. One that I told my mother, and she still speaks of to this day. It was of legs. It was a young girl's legs, a woman's legs, and a man's legs. And they were walking along a tree line on a bit of a slant. And all night it was just them walking. And I woke up that, ma- that next morning and I told her about it. And she was like, do you think that was Victoria? And I said, I hope so. Because it seemed like parents or something, you know. Victoria didn't come home that night, and nobody found her. The weeks passed, and our whole town was just full of news crews. Everyone had been questioned. I remember being in my friend's Brianne's house while her parents were away on a vacation, and the police knocked on the door to ask if they could check the shed. They had gone house to house in our entire town and checked every cross space, every shed, They looked at every single person, they questioned everyone, they left no stone unturned. But it wouldn't bring her home. Never did I think that I had anything to do with this, or I was a part of this. Like I said, I was at a full co-op. The last footage of Victoria, the day that she went missing, was her walking up a hill from her elementary school to my high school in the hands of a woman. In the footage, you see her walking up the hill and like a black car pass. So yes, they did question everyone who went to our school. You wouldn't think that some 18 year old, 15 year old could do something like this, you know? I was at a full-time co-op, so I wasn't there for questioning. It's not that I avoided it, but I wasn't a part of this, you know? I didn't have anything to tell them. I didn't know anything. I didn't even think of it because I was just at school doing what I needed to do to graduate. That footage was played on repeat and repeat and repeat on every news station for months. 
drawings, guesses, ideas, conspiracies on what could have happened. Looking at her parents and who they were and was this a drug debt that needed to be paid? (laughs) To look at some of the things they said about her parents, they tore our town apart. They, They did what they had to to try and find her. That was in April. And in July, August, they did find her. I remember coming home, pulling my car up to the front, and I go inside. My mom was in the back room. She called out to me and they said, Selena, Victoria's dead, and they know who killed her. I walked down the hallway and I just remember the walls pulsing like almost like a heartbeat. It's like when you get that feeling when you know something bad is about to happen. I turned in the living room and I saw my mom's face and I followed her eyeline to the TV. And it was his picture. The one from Zeusk. The one that I had looked at on my birthday and thought, oh wow, this looks like a nice guy. This looks like a kind guy. I just remember not hearing sound anymore and I could feel my face turning red and I was covered in goosebumps and I looked at my mom and I'm like, mom, that's him. I didn't need to say who him was. She knew who him was because she knew that I had been scared. I was going to throw up and I ran down the hall and I got outside and I got around the corner to these bushes and I just started throwing up. And I don't know how much time passed when my mom had called the police. And I was still at the side of the house laying in the grass when a police car pulled up. I remember sitting up and just looking at what I was wearing. I was just wearing this really nice linen dress and it was pink and it was purple. And I had on these little gold flats and I remember just never in my life have I felt more like a child. And never in my life have I felt more stupid. But it wasn't about me, and that's what I don't want this to be about. I just need to share with you my experience and why it's important. The police picked me up, and they took me in for questioning, and they were like, why didn't you come to questioning at your school? Of course it looked weird. I didn't even think anything of it. I told them about the emails. I gave them my laptop computer. I can still remember his email to this day. I answered everything ten times over about me and who I was and how did I know him and had I met him and I'll never forget this female officer just being like, you can tell me if you had sex with him. No. I had never even really met this man. And now I was in an investigation questioning room about the murder of a little girl, a beautiful little girl, who had gone to school, and at the end of the day, a woman, his counterpart, waited out front of the school. And when Victoria came out, she was the first girl, and she said, hey, do you want to see my puppies? And he t- she took her hand, and she walked her up the hill into the car. That car... 
that I had seen many times before, that car that had scared me to death. The car that I always looked out for, the car that gave you all the wrong vibes. And they put her in the back, they got her to crouch down, and they drove to Guelph, like an hour away, where his female counterpart went into Home Depot, and she bought a hammer, and she bought garbage bags. And then they drove into the middle of nowhere and pulled up a lane. She claims... that she knew what was going to happen. That he took her out. And he raped her. An eight-year-old little girl... And she went away. Well, it happened. This is just what she claims. And then when she came back, Victoria was laying there on the ground crying, and she had saw what happened to her when she was little, so she just wanted to end her suffering. So she took that hammer, and together, they brutally murdered her. And then they took her body and they put a bag over it. She put her in a garbage bag and they covered her with rocks. And then she laid there for months until finally some jealous reason had her confess. And I was in a questioning room like 17, 18, somehow connected, but feeling completely disconnected for months. A year later, police would come to our door, and I have extreme PTSD at door knocking. I even have a sign on my door that asks people not to knock. When phones ring or doors are knocked, I just have such an urge to just sit in a closet or lay under a bed because they kept showing up and telling me these these little details that I didn't want to know. They had brought this piece of paper and it had my name, my age, and my height, my numbers, and just things about me. Like I had been some part of something in some notebook. But that isn't what I fought with. When they told me that he had messaged me before and after. And I couldn't recall what was said. I got completely lost in the fact. That maybe I could have done something. That I could have like. Taken her place or had him distracted or met him that day and I don't want to play victim or have people feel bad for me I just I regret it and nobody can take that from me I was a grown up pretty much you know I could have fought 
but hindsight's twenty twenty. I just wish that I could go back. I dream about it all the time. I think about it all the time. So many times I've been honked at at a red light that turned green because I was just thinking about it. And I'll always think about it. I didn't know those people. And like I said, they came from different places. And they ruined everything for everyone. No one trusted each other anymore. People locked their doors and we looked at people sideways because how, how could that happen here? How could that happen to a beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, eight-year-old that loved Halloween and was full of love and, and light? I decided I wanted to be a police officer after this. Because if I could help this from happening again, that's what I wanted to do with my life. I just, I was filled with this anger and this, this, this rage that people like this existed. Sheeps, wolves, evil. He didn't look like the kind of person that would do this. And that just goes to say, like, you don't, you don't know who would do this. I was starting Police Foundations in that January, and that December, two days before Christmas, I got a call. They asked me to testify against him in court. I remember just putting the phone down and, and bawling my eyes out. I thought it was behind me at this point, but of course, I would do anything that I could to help. I went to police foundations, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to be away from home. I wasn't ready... to look at those kind of things and to learn about those kind of things. And I did, I had a bit of a breakdown. I came home and I met Adam. And I was in the middle of everything and I told him everything and I didn't keep any secrets and he stood by me completely. That summer came the trial and before it, I just wanted to do something. The anniversary of her disappearance was coming up really quick. And I just felt unsettled. It had been like a year or so, two years since it happened. I just, I didn't, I didn't know what to do, but I just felt like I had to do something. So, I, I went to the fabric store and I bought all this purple fabric because she loved butterflies, and that was her thing. And the town had been covered in all these bumper stickers for her. And I, and I got these popsicle sticks and, and black pipe cleaners, and I had made these butterflies. I made 500 of them. And then I bought 500 balloons, purple helium balloons. I spent all my money. <laughs> I was so excited, too. 
And I'll never forget my whole house, my parents' house, just the ceiling was full of balloons and I had baskets and baskets of these butterflies. In the middle of the night of the anniversary, the night of the anniversary before, my friend Caitlin and I went out and we covered the town in all of these butterflies and all of these balloons. We put them out at her grave. The last place we went was her school. All the way up the hill, that last time she walked here, I stuck those butterflies in the ground and I tied those balloons to poles. Same with the field that she would have run in. I'll never forget the sun coming up and just standing there with my friend. It felt dumb, but for me it was just a way to like tell her I was sorry. I couldn't have done anything different. I couldn't go back. I didn't want anybody to know that I did it. That wasn't something that I wanted. But the friend who I was with had talked to a news outlet because someone had told someone. We drove around that day with my parents and we looked at all the balloons and the butterflies and the people looking at them. And the people shared it across Facebook and it felt, I felt happy I did it. And her parents reached out and they told me that they thought it was beautiful too. So the trial came. I remember sitting in this room with all of these women that he had known. And he was talking to so many at the time. I was sitting beside this girl who was in university. She had sex with him the day after. He was running some ring, like the his, like everything that was going on was crazy. And I felt like such a small piece. And I felt kind of ridiculous because I had gone to the police station to read over notes before questioning. I had read so much stuff, like the, like the hours and hours and hours that I had done questioning. I read everything. And I was on that trial, that stand, and they said, how did you know him? And I don't feel like they asked me the important questions. They didn't ask me about big brothers, big sisters. They didn't ask about the stalking. They didn't ask about any of this crazy behavior. But I think the reason is because the case was closed. And it didn't matter because we all knew what he had done. I sat on that stand, and my whole body was jelly, and I was afraid to look to the left where he was sitting, but I did, and he wasn't even looking at me. He was just sitting there, disconnected. And then when I left, I opened up the doors to go out, and her mom was there. She gave me the biggest hug. <laughs> and we just both bawled our eyes out. The day I left. And I thought it would make me feel better. But it didn't. And for years, it was a daily battle. Before the trial, I got in my 
first real tattoo, which was a butterfly. And I got it beside my heart because I just wanted to always live extra for her. And instead of shutting down, I wanted to just go out there and be loud and bright and fun and live extra for her because she's not here. I remember having this dream and I was at this play place in Niagara Falls. It's like an arcade and she was there. We had the whole place to ourselves and we were playing all these games and but the whole time I knew what happened but she was acting like she didn't know what happened and at the end we were sitting at this table and she just looked at me and she said I don't know what happened to me and then I woke up and I think that I don't know if it was my subconscious or somehow it was her coming through to just kind of tell me that it was okay to not live in it all the time. And I left for work and I had seen one of those butterflies that I had made. And it just felt like some validation. <laughs> you don't know who's on the other side of that computer. Or what they're capable of. I had never really met this man, but because he told me certain things, I let him be a part of my life. He ended up getting sentenced to, like, life. Same with his counterpart. A couple of years ago came out the news that she had been moved to, like, a rehab facility, but she was living a pretty normal life. No, I wasn't cool with that. Nobody was cool with that when they found out. So I jumped on the computer and I just said the facts. I said, she said, and she said, and she said. She was just as guilty as him. And just because she was a woman doesn't mean she should be treated any differently. We don't expect that of women. We don't expect women to go out and take the life of a child. There was massive, massive anger about it. And she got moved back to the jail. He sits in his jail, and I hope he dies in there. And I I hate being that kind of person, because that's not the kind of life that I live, but someone capable of that much evil should never be allowed to walk our streets. She was a child. And what he did to her was the absolute worst things you could do to a child. They say it was drug-fueled. It doesn't matter. I ended up getting pulled out of Big Brothers Big Sisters because they didn't know how I was involved. And I understand that. And I miss those girls and I never saw them again. And I hope that they lived the best lives. Victoria would be like 20 now or 21. I just wonder who she'd be and what she would have done with her life and if she'd be happy. 
Because this town changed. The people in it changed. I changed. Just please know, no matter how old you are, you need to be careful. You don't know who's out there. You don't know what their intentions are. It's so easy now. Back then, yeah, we had Facebook and Zeus, but there was no Tinder, there was no Kick, there was no Messenger, there was MSN, there was the Zeus, it was, it was small. And it still happened. Now it's so easy for kids to jump online and talk to whoever they're talking to, and that scares me so much. So that's why, on all my platforms, I don't leave room. I don't leave room for anger. I don't leave room. And people, yeah, they get mad at me because I delete comments. And it's because I have such a hard time reading crappy little comments when it comes to the fact that, like, that's what you chose to be angry about today. When there's all these things going on in the world. So I don't leave room. So please, when you meet somebody or talk to somebody online, don't let it all go. Because you think of me. I was a girl from the suburbs who never even met this man. And I ended up having my entire life affected. This little girl died. Was murdered. And I'll never go a day where I don't think about her. If you've experienced something like this, I'm so sorry. I know how it changes you. It's weird, you know, having guilt, survivor's guilt. That's the that's what you call it, survivor's guilt. Cuz that's what it is. And I hope in my next life or whatever's after this, I get to see her and tell her how sorry I am. It was such a tiny piece, but it changed the whole path of everything. Thanks for listening, guys. I know this was a dark one. But I think it was important for you to hear. See you next time. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit CarShield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at CarShield.com slash audio. That's CarShield.com slash audio.